Welcome, everybody, to Rise Church. So glad you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors. We're so glad that you're with us, especially here with us for the very first time. And we're honored that you uh, joined us today and this weekend. I always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Ever say three times? And here's why, as I know, when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. And uh, my goal is that you would come back and uh, be uh, part of our what we call spiritual family. And if you're watching online, we'd love for you to like, comment, share, leave a review. Hey, maybe uh, let us know what you're eating for breakfast right now as you're watching church. And that kind of gets this interaction. Believe it or not, when you do things like that, it helps us get through some of those algorithms. And then the message of Jesus gets out uh, a little better. And so uh, we're excited because we are continuing a series called Christmas Songs. And um, what we're doing is we're looking at really kind of the... Hallmark Christmas songs of the season. You know, we have carols and Christmas um, hymns, and we sing all kinds of Christmas. Uh, y'all already heard every one of them throughout Target as you're shopping. And so we're using a few of them to, uh, for this series and really walking through a lot of really cool, I think, um, thoughts that come out of uh, the Christmas song. So last week, you know, we talked about just this idea of silent night and really the idea of peace and what, what, what God really does when, when, when he sent Jesus, one of the biggest things that he, he brought um, that Jesus came was peace because he came in a time of a lot of turmoil. And I don't know about you, but this is a time of a lot of turmoil. And for I'm, here's what I know about you, and I don't even need to know you to know this about you, is that you desire peace in your life. And if you desire peace in your life, Jesus is the best source for that. And I know that the world offers so many other ways, you know, uh, whether it's a, um, a, a something that could be addictive or something that could be maybe um, uh, fun for a moment it, to maybe relieve you from the stress that you feel, the best stress relief that you could ever find, just trust me is in the loving arms of Jesus Christ. And so we, we learned about that last week, and that's a really important thing for all of us. And, and for some of you, um, uh, th- that was a new revelation. For some of you, that was a, an old revelation brought to you to, to remind you that, hey, we really need Jesus. Um, this week, we're going to talk about a new song, and it's kind of the, the song that we last song we sang. They, we, they sang a kind of a different version of, of Noel. But we, we, um, we, we're going to look at first the, the first Noel, that song, today. And so how many of y'all like that song, the first Noel? And so what's interesting about that song, anybody know what Noel means? It means um, it's Christmas, and so, or birthday, or... Or, or, you know, it can kind of mean like the, the first time that Jesus kind of was like, they're celebrating the season is really what it was. Um, but there's a part of that song. I want to show you the lyric real quick. And I'm not going to make you sing, you know, because I know like people at church are like scared that the pastor's going to make somebody sing. I, I was always at the church that, that like they'd have somebody, they give the mic to people in the crowd. Y'all ever been to that church before? Like, don't go to those churches. That's crazy. And so... Um, but I grew up in that church, and so they'd be like, hey, you know, you got to, and they'd do something for, it was fun. This isn't even in my notes. Sometimes I get silly. But, like, uh, they'd, get, they'd have, like a, like, a testimony time, and, you know, Sister Mary Martha would be talking for 30 minutes about her kids in Kentucky that were messed up. And, you know, people would be like, somebody tell her to stop talking. We're here for the pastor. So, anyway, um, it has nothing to do with my message. But, anyway, uh, so we're not going to sing songs, but I'll show you the, the, the last lyric of the song. Do we have it? Do I? I think I, I, do we have it? Noel? Okay, I'll tell you what it was. And so anyway, it says, uh, oh yeah, there it is. Noel, Noel, it says, come and see what God has done. Um, but but the, the, the last one that's a really, really important, I think the, the lyric that I think is important, it says, Noel, Noel, born is the king of Israel. Like, born is the king of Israel. And I'll, I'll sing that song. It's an odd song. Because I don't know, like, Like, I'm okay with Jesus as a baby. I'm okay with Jesus as a carpenter's son. I'm okay with Jesus as a friend, as a healer, as a provider, as a blesser. I'm okay with Jesus as a savior. I'm okay with Jesus as my homeboy, as some t-shirts say. I'm okay with Jesus as, as like, 
the 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 Jesus holding the lamb in the oil paintings, holding the hand of a baby and a kid as they walk along the beautiful shores of Destin Beach, Florida, and you know, like with the Birkenstock. I'm okay with that Jesus, but King Jesus. Can I be honest? Like, I'm used to democracy. I'm used to a little bit of rebellion. Come on, like the Americas, we started with, we rebelled against the monarchy. I'm okay with Jesus in so many ways. So when born of the king of Israel, and I'm like, oh, Jesus is my king. That's different. So I want to read a scripture in Matthew chapter 2. That's where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 2. And, and I want to read something to you because I feel like it's interesting that the Bible would speak about Jesus being born, and they describe about who he is. Now, we're going to be in Matthew. Last week, we were in Luke because they're all Gospels. And so Matthew is a New Testament book that starts in the New Testament. So Matthew. And verse 1, it says this, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of King Herod. Now, that's interesting. So Jesus was born into a time and into an area where there was another king. And Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's this one who's been born? This is interesting. King of the Jews. Okay, so now we have one king, and then there's this new king coming. And I don't know about this. If you know this about human history, most kings don't like new kings coming into their territory. That's just something for food for thought. You can find that on the History Channel. And they said, we saw the star when it rose to have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Of course he was. This guy's terrible. And all of Jerusalem with him, and he had called together and all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law. He asked them, where's the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, Judea? They replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, this is the prophet, you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means at least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. So you need to know this. So Messiah was the, meant the anointed king that would come from the line, the Davidic line, um, and that would enter into, uh, to, to re- they had thought he was going to enter into the kingdom and reestablish the, the reign of Israel. And, and, and so they're referencing, it's a really a prophecy from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where they reference, where Micah was a prophet, he references the oncoming and the future coming, the forthcoming king and prophet and Messiah. So they're referencing scripture. And King Herod would have known this because he was around that time. They would have been around. He'd have scribes. and There would have been people around to know it. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found them out in the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go therefore, Go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find it. Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen, it rose and went and rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, how many of y'all know that had been weird and freaky? Where you see a star, all of a sudden it rises up. It starts moving like, you know, a UFO. It moves and then it stops over the area Jesus was born. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, this is a, you don't know this, but this is another prophecy ref- reference that from Numbers chapter 24 from uh, a prophet named Balaam, and he was actually a prophet to the king of Moab. Now, this guy was a terrible person. He was not a good prophet, but he was a true prophet. So he actually heard from God, but he didn't listen to God. And so he would speak to the people about God. That's interesting. Right? Where, you, where, you, where you hear from God, but you don't do what God says. So you, you think you're good. You could be a godly person. You can hear from God, but you don't do what God says, and then you tell people what God says, but you don't do it yourself. That's a message for a different... That ain't even Christmas. Okay, so we'll just keep going. <laughs> On coming to the house, they saw the child's mother, Mary, and they bowed, and they worshiped him, and they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Y'all know that, because it's gift-giving time. And having they been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Interesting that Jesus would be coming during a time through another 
king. And if that is um, kind of the backdrop of our message, let's pray. Father, I love you, God. Lord, I thank you that today you're going to speak to us. And that there's no one in this room needs to hear my message. Everyone in this room needs to hear your message. And there is a message from the Holy Spirit. And I pray you would give me the strength and the wisdom and the character to speak it on your behalf. Help us to hear you today in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Um, I have a problem I want to confess, if I can, today. Confessions of a pastor. I love to shop. I love it. I don't like it. I love it. And uh, I like going to different shops. And it doesn't matter. I'm an equal opportunity shopper. I love to shop in all kinds of stores. I like the boutique. I like the mass mall. I like uh, grocery stores. I Believe it or not, I like grocery stores. I love to shop with my kids. My, I, it's my favorite thing in all the world. Where I get all seven of my family members, and we get all up in our car, and we drive over to HEB, and we say in HEB, we are those people. We bring our kids to the grocery store. And so we walk around, and I enjoy every aisle and everything. But one of my favorite stores, can I tell you my favorite store to go grocery shopping in? It is the famous Costco warehouse. That's my favorite store in all the world. And some of y'all are like, well, that's the same thing, Sam's Club. No, it's not. It's not the same thing. Costco is better than Sam's Club. I'm right. You're wrong. And if you don't believe me, that's fine. It's America. You have the right to be wrong. You are wrong. And so Costco's not the same as Sam's Club, and so Costco's better. And so we go into Costco, and I love Costco because, first of all, it takes a membership. And I kind of like that. You know, I kind of like that. I'm a member. You ain't a member. You can't come in. So I'm a little weird like that. So I'm like, yeah, I got my card. So when I walk into the store, I get the card out. I'm my name, my picture's not even on the card. My wife's picture's on the card. But I take the card from my wife, and I say, it's me. I'm here. You're welcome. And I just start pointing at staff members like I, they all know me. They don't know me, but I pretend like we're all one people. This is my people. The air is better in Costco. So I'm like, okay. So I walk into Costco. My wife and I go to the store. She doesn't let me. So let me just say this. We have a rule in our family where um, I'm only allowed to go to Costco with her one time a month. Because she won't let me go anymore because she says I ruined her shopping experience. And I said, why do you still not let me go into the shop? And she goes, because I like to go Costco. I go with a purpose, with a plan. How many of y'all ladies go to the store with a purpose and a plan? Especially the grocery store. You know, y'all go into the store. Y'all have a list. Y'all have a plan. That's demonic. I don't like that at all. That cramps me up. It gives me a box. I don't want to be in a box. Get me out of the box. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, keep me out of the box. I want to be out of a box. And so I want to go to, Co especially Costco, because when you walk into Costco, y'all, you walk in, and on the right side, when you, first as you walk in, heaven opens up with all of the TVs and television that you should have and should own, right? We should, guys, come on, we should own all those TVs that are gigantic and $40,000. I should sell a kidney to buy that TV. You're right. And I, what's, here's what's crazy about Costco. I can get my tires done, my, my, my oil changed. I can get gas. I can get my contacts, a hearing aid. I can get my prescription. I can also eat while I'm there. Come on, like this is the best store ever. So I'm walking in, and my wife looks at me, and she goes, Aaron, listen, I only have one rule today. Stay with me because I'm going in here to get this stuff done. I said, babe, I'm with you. I'm with you. I married you. Wing on the finger. Put a ring on it. I married you. I'm with you. So we start walking, and so she's like, okay, she got, so she starts walking, but you don't know this. There's aisles that go down forever, and I, I have to go see the aisles, guys. 
I have to go see the aisles, so I feel bad when I miss the aisles. So I start turning down the aisles. She has no business. She knows where she's going. She leaves me. She's gone. I have four of kids. She has two of the kids, and I'm one of the. How many do we have? Five, five. She has one of the kids. I have four, and so she's. I'm over here, and so by the time we get, I go through all through Costco, and I love it because it's just amazing. And here's the interesting thing about Costco. I mean, we were walking. I get to feed my children. There's little snack carts. I'm like, what are those? And we're those people where we go around the aisle, and then we come back, and we're like, oh, we didn't see this. You know, we get a couple more. And so we're just weird like that. And so we just get, we hit all the places, and I got all the things, and we get to the end. So we meet up. She texts me, can you come to the front, please? Can you just come to the front? I'm about to leave. And I'm like, okay. So I pull up with my cart of stuff. She's got her cart of stuff, and she's got the stuff that was on the list. And of course, I got the stuff that wasn't on the list, was on my list. And so I come out. She went to groceries. I came out with tires. I came out with batteries. I had a couple of like um, one of those like um, they're like laminated mats to microwave things. I had um, light bulbs. I had uh, it was awesome. It was the most amazing day. Like I thought it was great. And she just looked at me, rolled her eyes and said, "I, I don't understand why you can't follow directions. She goes, I came here with a purpose. And you ruined that purpose. Thank you. And I was like, I was thinking about this. I was like, we came to the Costco. Okay, we came to the Costco. We both went to do the same thing, but we had different intentions. So we, 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 did, we, we, we did the same thing, but she, her intention was to follow the list and to get food. My intention was to go and have an experience. <laughs> and Jesus, okay, so, so Jesus and Herod trying to do the same thing with different intentions. Two different kingdoms. It's interesting to me how Jesus comes in a time where another king. And I, w- I want you to like, we're going to compare and contrast this a little bit because this is important. Because whether or not you can bow to a king depends on the kingdom that he's establishing to me, right? So, 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 so Jesus comes during the time of King Herod, and, and Herod is ruling through fear instead of love, right? So Herod... Um, is one of the worst guys ever known to murder his family, murders his wife, multiple kids, uh, in-laws. Some of y'all are like, that don't seem too bad. No, that was bad. Um, you know, he, he murders people, uses fear as a tactic to lead, and Jesus comes and, and suddenly sacrifices himself, not for the people he loves, for his enemies. That's different. Fear versus love. Oh, here's another one. So Herod ruled with pride and was about power. He hoarded power. He protected his power. In fact, his pride was so big that he named himself Herod the Great. You know him as that. He named himself Herod the Great. And Jesus comes down and he says, well, let's do this. Let's turn kingdoms all upside down. Let's give all our power away. Human kingdoms, man-made kingdoms, Have you noticed all throughout history, they're all designed to keep and grow their own power. Jesus comes down, turns it upside down, and he says, no, my kingdom, we give it away. In fact, they called him humble, right? The the humble and gentle prophet. Like, he was was humble and he was gentle. Herod was, um, he was building differently. Herod was actually a master builder, if you look at him historically. And he built differently. He would build, he built great kingdoms, just even just from a, um, from a construction standpoint. 
Uh, most of us know that, and we can actually go see some of these things, but I'll give you just a few of them. He built monuments in his kingdom. His kingdom was built on, like, Herod's temple. So I'll give you, I'll give you a shot of Herod's temple just to give you an idea of what, of what these places were. Um, uh, put, put, so that's, that's Herod's temple. I mean, talking about a master builder. He built Masada, you know, so, like, there's an a, a incredible area of, of this, this area that he built and manufactured and, and constructed. Herodium, which is incredible. Um, this we're talking about monuments just to himself, uh, just incredible areas that are even still being excavated today. The harbor accessory, I mean, it's just just incredible stuff. We're talking engineering in an area where you would never think it happened. So this guy builds things unto himself in his kingdom. Jesus comes and he builds He builds me. He builds disciples. He builds people. So you see a comparing and contrasting from a very different kingdom standpoint. And I don't know about you, even though I have a problem with the kingdom concept because I'm an American and I'm Texan and you have to come and take it, right? Um, like, you, if I had to bow to King Herod, we'd have a big problem. But Jesus' kingdom seems a little different. Jesus' kingdom seems a little more um, life-giving, a little more um, divine, almost. That he was almost coming to give you and I his kingdom. That makes no sense to us. So when the song says, born is the king of Israel, and I start reading what Jesus' kingdom looks like, I can get with that. In fact, the Bible uses Jesus as Lord, which is an interesting word, about 740 times, depending on your translation inside of the New Testament alone. But Jesus is Lord. The Greek word for Lord there is kurios, kurios, and it meant supreme in authority or king. So Jesus is king. And all throughout history, Jesus is known to even by great leaders to be king. The, the question is not, is Jesus king? The question is, is Jesus your king? It's like we can't, we can't quibble on like the idea of G, if Jesus is truly king. He's done too much. At this point in our lifetime, 2,000 years past his, his prime, we are still celebrating 33 years lived well. At some point, it's not, is he king? Is he my king? Because if he's my king, then I'm in the kingdom. And if I'm in the kingdom, then that means I get some of the benefits from the kingdom. It's different. And yeah, I give up some of my preferences, and I sacrifice some of my, my wants and likes to, that ultimately hurt me anyway. If I'm, if I'm honest, the things that are led by what they call, the, the church calls the flesh, which is really just that kind of weird desire inside of all of us to do dumb things. I always tell people sin is like, a, um, you ever talk to anybody and they're like, well, sin is terrible. Like, well, not at first. 
Like, can we be real? Like pastors talk about, like, don't do sin. It feels terrible. No, it doesn't. At the first part, it sounds amazing. It just leaves lasting, terrible consequences. The reason you and I sin is not because it's bad. It's because it's great in the beginning and terrible in the end, and you can't get out of that dumb cycle. And it ultimately hurts you. So, so let's not be silly about the idea that it le- us left unto ourselves, we're terrible people, not because, you know, we choose to be that. But it's because it's just the nature of kind of who we are. So it's good to have a holy, divine king who knows what is best for us because he made us. So, so the question, again, is he your king? And, and I thought maybe the best way to help that with us just as we wrap up today um, and maybe give you some categories of king-like behavior. So for me, I need to kind of compartmentalize and break it down because I'm not complicated. I'm a very simple person, so you got to break it down. And sometimes people explain stuff to me. I'm like, okay, explain it to me like a 10-year-old because I don't understand what you just said. And so I, I'm going to break this down for me. When I hear, is God my king, I can't use it in generalized um, universal terms. I have to say, okay, God, are you king in certain categories of my life? So the first Maybe the question that I'd ask you is, is he king in your marriage? Because you can't say God's king, like, oh, Jesus is my king. He's my king. But you don't do it the kingdom way in your marriage with your wife or your husband. So, so the question, is he king in your marriage, is an important one because then what it ultimately asks you, ultimately, it says, okay, if, he, if he's, here's how I know if he's king in my marriage. I'm doing the main thing that the king wants for me in my marriage. Has anybody ever asked yourself, like, what's the point of a kingdom marriage? Like, what's the point? We're going to do a marriage series in February, and I hope you come and bring your spouse because um, I'm bringing my spouse, and, like, we need help. And so, <clears throat> like, I'm like, Lord, give me something that I can use for me. That's how I think about marriage series. And so, um, and so we're, you have to ask yourself, what's the point of a marriage in the kingship of Jesus? Here's, if I could summarize it for us, this is really good. This is just, if you're taking notes, please take it, especially if you're married. Listen, the point of kingdom living in marriage is this idea called mutual submission. You get this right, it's almost like it just settles a lot of other stuff. And like when I say submission, all the guys are like, oh yeah, wives submit to your husband. It's the only verse all husbands know. It's the only one all husbands, y'all don't know any other that and Jesus wept, every man knows. They're like, yeah, that woman, she needs to submit, submit. It's in the Bible. Okay. Yes. So Ephesians 5, 22 says, wives submit to your husbands. It's unto the Lord. Yes. Yes. But did you know the verse that preceded that verse? Because I know. Like, you want to pull out verses? I can pull out verses with the best of them. You want to get in my marriage and find my marriage? I use them all the time. My wife should be like, don't use that verse on me. You ain't my pastor. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he, he Paul, this is a letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus, and he's, he's talking about relationships in general. He says, you, you realize all great relationships are built on this idea of mutual submission. We submit to each other, and the reason we do that is not because the person is worthy of submission. He highlights why. 
Because the why is important. Because here's why the why is important. When your wife's shouting at you in a way that does not deserve your submission to her, when your husband ain't talking to you the way you know you should be talking, I'm a child of God. I'm a princess. You be talking to me. Don't be talking to me out your neck. And you. It matters when he says you submit one to another out of what? Reverence for Christ. You aren't submitted to your husband or your wife because they're worthy of being submitted to. You're submitted to them because you are reverent to the king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no one likes that verse, especially when you be fighting. And so the message of mutual submission is I'm here for you, regardless of the circumstance. You don't deserve it, and I don't deserve it. And you don't tell them that. Hello. But, you know, you'll be using that. Pastor told me I could say this. You don't deserve it. I'm submitting to you. Y'all do that when you stick your neck out. It's saying you're, you're, you're of no less value than I am because we're all submitted to the king. Yeah. Is he, is he king in your marriage? I can go on. I am. I'm going to have a marriage series. It's going to be good. Is he king in your parenting? Is he king in your parenting? Had a, um, I think you got to ask yourself this question. What is the point of parenting under the kingship of Jesus? Um, if I could summarize and just help. Like, I, I'm not an expert, but I do feel like as a pastor, because I meet with and deal with people on a lot of a regular basis, one of the things I try to even train and learn and research and get better at is how I can help people who are struggling in a particular area of life be better. Okay, so I read a lot. And I try to do, so again, but I'm no expert. But I think if I could summarize the kingship of Jesus and how you parent, like under the, like if we're in the kingdom, the point of parenting is to point our children to Jesus. I'm trying to summarize for us. Okay, I'm trying to give you big boulders. If we can just get this right, I, th- I think it could help us. It could help me. Um, I like what Ephesians 6 says. So this is Paul again writing in the letter. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by any by the way you, you treat them, rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Which, by the way, most scholars believe when they said fathers, that they meant people, like parents, depending on the translation. So fathers, mothers, right? Like, our goal is to um, bring them up with discipline and instruction and intention, right? Like, there's, there's got to be, you can't do that without an intention. Every discipline they learn is to strengthen their relationship with God. So it's important that you keep them to their word and you train them not because you're amazing and you're king in their life. You train them to listen to a command so that, listen, they listen to the command of the true king. You're pointing them to God. It's important when disobedience happens. That's a big deal. Not because you're mean, not because you don't love them, because disobedience to you makes disobedience to God that much easier. If it's not easy to follow you, they can see. How much harder is it for them to follow God, they can't see. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So for the parents who don't like to discipline or don't like to have consequence to action, you're training them, even if you don't think you are to not listen to the one true king. 
You don't want them to really listen to you. That's not the point of them listening to you. What you want from them is to listen to God. How many of y'all right now are empty nesters? Y'all had kids, and they're not in your house anymore. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your like you're proud of it, and you made it. Okay, awesome. Y'all are in the club. How many of y'all are close to having somebody out the house? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right, y'all, y'all just believe in God. Y'all are right. Just y'all right there. Y'all, you just see the end. You see it. Okay. The people who had their parents, when you're, isn't it freaky to know that your kids, they don't have to listen to you no more. And your, your prayer, I, I, I would bear to say, your prayer for your kids every day is that, would you just follow, would they just listen to your voice, God? Will, God, will you just, will, it's not God, will you speak to them? God's good. He's speaking to them. It's God, will you let my kids, li- will you just help them listen? Help them. You know how you help them listen? While they're with you. So, so I know for like so many of us, parenting is a struggle, but it's worth the struggle because you want them when they walk out of their house to listen not to your words because you, I was telling um, somebody the other day about parenting. It's all in stages, you know. And the older they get, the less your influence is. And by the time they turn 13, 14, 15, just so you know, I I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Uh, Trust me. You are not their most important influence anymore. Trust me. You think you are. You I'm going to force it. You ain't. I promise. And the older they get, your influence shrinks to the point where all of a sudden they, guess what? They go. And I've sat in houses, cried with parents. I've sat in houses and celebrated with parents. And I I promise you, not one of them, when their kids leave the house, not one of them say, I think I spent too much time training and loving and explaining and helping my kids. No one says that. You know what they always say? Man, I probably should have spent just just a little bit more time. Helping them understand that when they listen to me, I'm training them to listen to God. We're pointing our children to Jesus. There was a great... um, Pastor Jason sent this to me. He said um, a, a policeman, um, or it was a guy who talked to a policeman, posted this on social media. And he, the policeman said, I pick up these kids in the middle of the night, then take them home, and then I meet their parents. And he said, this is his comment on it. Um, we don't have a teenage problem in the city. We have a parent problem. And so, 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 so I'm just saying, like, Train intentionally for their future in the relationship, in the king. We're talking about kingdom living here so that they understand how to recognize the, the authority of a king. Third one is, um, um, is he king in your finances? Okay. We're not going to take a second offering. Take it easy. Um, I, I will say... There's an old gospel preacher statement. Um, if he's not king of all, he's not king at all. You know, it's uh, I I can't do it because I'm not that. But he could be king in your parenting. He could be king in your marriage. 
I find it interesting, though. It's like when we, we get so sensitive, we get here. But is he king in my money? Because no. every time the pastor talks about that, we be given to the church. Don't, I'm not talking about giving to the church. I'm just talking about is he king of your money? It's amazing to me how we would take the thing that God gives us and turn around and be stingy to him back with it. It makes no sense in the concept of reality. If you gave your child candy like I do all the time, and when I ask him for a bite back and him look at me cross-eyed like, are you crazy? I'm like, boy, give me that candy right now. Because I'm not God. I don't need to act like God. I'm like, I'm Aaron, you know? I'm like, stinky candy. But, like, we act like that with God. So much. I act like that with God. It's, a, it's funny. I don't know if, um, I feel like I'm on this funny game with him. Is I'll get blessed financially, and then God will give me an opportunity. It'll pop up to give it away. <laughs> and I, every time it happens, almost to the point right now where, like, if I get, like, financially blessed somehow, I'll be like, well, I just, I better not, I better just be good with not, I should hold this loosely. Just hold this loosely. Um, but that's a good way to think about your money. You hold it loosely. Because even what you have, I think even things like the, like the 2008 crisis will show you, you ain't as financially stable as you thought. And the pandemic will show you that you ain't as financially stable as you thought. And if it's all liquid anyway, let's be honest right now, all of our money ain't real anyway. And so um, there ain't no gold behind it. Come on, y'all know that, right? Yeah, if you don't know, you in trouble. You need to go look up some of that. And so right now, we need to be careful that we, we make Jesus the king and not money the king. Money's a, money's a good thing. Money's a tool. Money's, money's powerful. Nothing wrong with money. But our, our disposition toward it make it weird. I just find it funny how people are like that. If you never gave one dime to the church, that wouldn't affect the church. You realize that? Jesus is bigger than that. So it's not, it's not about money. But I do think that, that there's parts of your life where you learn to let it go. Like if God speaks to you this season, maybe the best thing I could say to you is if God speaks to you this season about your money with someone in your heart and your family, or you see someone who's hurting, or you know of an organization who could use it, and something tugs on you to give it, but you're checked by the idea that if you give it, you'll lose it, please, please, please do yourself a favor and let it go. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Uh, generous people live in a way that they recognize, well, God's the king of all this. And I've just noticed that in a kingdom... You reap the benefits of the kingdom. And so I don't give to get in my, my life. What I think about it is I get to give. And I want to learn to be a generous person. So I try to, I try to do that in my life. I try to, I think we should try. I know there's many of you who try to use that as like a way to, somebody's asked me the other day, I said, Aaron, are you, are you a generous person? I said, no, I think I'm actually naturally a stingy person. So because of that, I have to really work at it. 
Because there's no, the only antidote to stinginess and greed is generosity. Jesus doesn't miraculously heal that. He uses um, his principles to heal that through you. And so Matthew 25, and I'm done, says, um, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, this story doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense to you if you don't know the context. There's a parable of the good steward, and the parable goes on to talk about how um, a master gave stewards a certain amount to do well with. And a couple did well with it. They doubled it. They worked with it. They gave it away. They, some, they did well with it. And then somebody didn't do anything with it and hid it in the ground. And the people that did well with it, the master comes up and it says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus tells this parable because he's trying to relate our idea that everything in our life has been given to us by God, that we are owners of nothing, steward of everything. Your time, your health, your money, your kids, y'all know that. They ain't with you for it. Your life has been given to you by God. And he's asking you to steward it and to be well with it. You should live, we should live our life in a way that stewards. We, we should live our life in a way that says, well done. Well done. My good and faithful servant. I like what he doesn't say there. Well done, my perfect. You did everything right, servant. No. It's just you did, you did well with it. You tried. Thank you for doing that one moment where you bought a kid a Christmas gift wasn't yours, where you bless someone behind you in the Starbucks blessed train, you know, whatever, or you, you, you bless your neighbor who found out they got sick and you sent them a meal, where you prayed for someone, you were there for some, you helped someone move in and move out. How many of y'all know moving is the worst? And the people who ask you to move probably hate asking you to do it, but they, 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 they need help, and so you go over, come on, I'm talking about generosity, y'all. Is he, is, he, is, he, is he king in your finances? The last one, is he king in your body? What's the point of your body under the kingship of Jesus, your physical body? The, the point of our physical body is living sacrifice. It's the concept of living sacrifice. Some people, I believe, think God's asking you to die for him. That's not what he asked. Jesus already died. God asked us to live for him. In the kingdom of Jesus, he says, I want you to live for me as a living sacrifice. So every day, wake up thinking, how can my body honor God? Um, even Romans 12 says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So one of the things that I do when I wake up, and I don't know if this is helpful. I did it this morning. Woke up, sat on the side of my bed. And I prayed a simple prayer. I said, God, and I just started going through different parts of my body, and I gave it to God. So I said, Lord, I give you my eyes today as a living sacrifice, holy to you. Let me look at everything that's holy. Let me reject the things that are unholy. Keep my eyes clean and filtered properly. Lord, I give you my ears today. Let everything I hear be your voice. Help me to reject the voice of the enemy. Help me to hear that you love me. Hear that I'm accepted. Hear that I'm loved. Hear that I'm, I'm joyful. Hear that I, I want to hear the things that God, God, I give you my ear. Today, I give you my words. Come on, somebody, need to say that. I give you my mouth today. Lord, I give whatever comes out of my mouth, let it, let it bring praise and adoration and glory to you, God. Let me not speak ill of you. Let me not speak ill of others. Let me glorify you and lift up your name. God, I give you my hands. Let everything my hands. Y'all see what I'm saying? God asks us to do that and be a living sacrifice. In the kingship, our bodies are his. And what I love about our God 
and our king is that he honors people first. So God will always honor you in his kingdom. In Herod's kingdom, well, you, you, if he killed his wife and his kids and his family, we'd be in some trouble. But in the king of the kingship of Jesus, he sacrifices for his enemies. That's the king I want. I, I can get with that king. I can follow that king who, who gives everything so that I can win, gives everything so that I can be a part of his royal family. And my hope for you today is that, you know, when you sing that song, the first Noel, born is the king of Israel. You stand up. That's my king. That's my king. And every one of us have a step today. Today, you might be king. He might be king in your marriage, but he needs to be king in your parenting. Maybe he's king in your parenting, but he needs to be king in your finances. He might be king in your finances, but he needs to be king in your body. We need to have some self-control with our body and be able to do things that honor our God with our body. Y'all see what I'm saying? So my goal and my prayer for you today is that you would take your step personally to be, for Jesus to be king in your life.